Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. of the mountain I sang down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. No one, it makes sense. It makes sense when I asked you to, you know. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Good morning to you too at home. Um, Let's pray. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Lord Jesus, we are just so grateful that this is not a passage about Emmanuel and his eloquence. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the true servant. You are the one who has been anointed to liberate, to set us free, to rescue us, to bring us out, O God, of whatever we might be in this morning. So we're asking, Lord, for a word in season, a word, O God, that will minister to our needs, O God, a word that will bring your power and life to us, O God, in our darkness. Please let these next few minutes, O God, encourage us and help us, Lord, as we look to you, O Lord, our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it's good to see everyone. Good to see your faces this morning. It's good to see you, Barbara, Nena. I'm hailing all my GC people. Um, I don't care about the rest of you. Um, it's good for you, good to um, be with you virtually as well, those of us who are at home. Um, I know it's been a really tough week, um, actually weeks, um, a month, tough month as well. Let's even just say it's been a tough year, you know. Um, I was saying to someone this year, Tomiwa, and we're talking about work and all that, and saying, so I said to him, oh, your wedding is almost here. Be encouraged. And the guy was like, no. Like, it gets worse after the wedding. So I was like, okay, let's put it this way. 2020 is almost over. And the guy was like, yes, yes, 2020 is almost over. It's been very exhausting. Um, And I think, you know, just even thinking about the series we've been doing, it's been encouraging to see how the gospel continues to minister to us in our needs. And so we are continuing in Jonah this morning, and I've titled the sermon, A Cry for Deliverance. Can we say that together? So I might do this call and response thing. Just indulge me. It's, um, I don't do this. I'm not here every time. So let's just, let me, let, this is my moment, okay? This is my moment. 
there is something about us as human beings that recognizes our need for deliverance. Like, stuff happens to us, and we know that we actually need someone to, someone to bring us out, someone to rescue us, someone to deliver us. Sometimes it's serious stuff. Some other times it's difficult stuff. So, like, I remember a few of those for me, um, and I think one, one, one particular situation is germane, if I may say, this morning. Um, so Nigerian parents feel like as you progress in your educational journey, your need for money reduces. <laughs> so like year one, yes, uh, you know, this guy is just going to school. He needs money. He needs to settle down. You know. Year two, eh, now he's settled down. You know. Now he knows everywhere on campus. He knows where to get cheap food. No, more, no, no need for money. And like that and like that. So I went to law school. Of course, by the time they had paid the fees and bought the books, they're like, ah, this guy, no, no, no. So the money came down. And then NYSE, now government is paying you. You do not need any money from us. So there was even no supply, no supply, no power supply. <laughs> so in my own case, you know, that's when you start thinking, oh, no, no, this, this distance, no, this is a very short distance. I can leg it. I can walk. <laughs> and so you, you know, start walking. And then it struck me one day, Omo, this is not going to this I'm going to keep walking throughout this NYC. This is I'm going to be suffering. So I had a friend, and I shared my burden. I can't remember whether the friend asked me or asked the friend. But you know, you know this Christian thing. We share our burdens with our friends, right? And so I shared my burden with this very close and dear friend of mine. And the friend was, obviously, the friend, was, the friend had a better job than me. Um, technically, they didn't do NYC, but let's leave that aside. So the friend decided to help me out. And the friend said, every month, I'll be sending you something from my own salary to help you. As in, it was just so, so kind. Do you know what I did to this friend? I married the friend. I married the friend. But here's the point, actually. We recognize that there's something in us, some situations we get into that require help from outside, that require people to... To bring us out. And like we've heard, like Tedo just said, like we've heard the past few weeks, there's something that requires us sometimes to sorrow us, okay, to speak out. And I think this is what the point of this passage here is. Jonah is in deep mess. Like literally, he's in a mess. You don't go lower than the sea. He's inside the sea. And he finds himself in need of deliverance and he calls out to God. And, you know, it's sad because this is the first time and the only time in this book that we see Jonah actually praying to God. But I think there's something here that, that is relevant for us in our difficulties, in our challenges, in the situations we find ourselves. And there's, a, there's some debate about, oh, is Jonah actually serious in this passage? Is he actually crying out to God? Has he repented? Or is he just being his usual rebellious self? And all of that does not concern us this morning. But the prayer Jonah prays here actually shows us what it means to lean on God, to depend on God, to rely on God, to bring you out, to deliver you. And there are three things that I would like for us to see here this morning. First, Jonah prays from below. Second, Jonah prays looking in. And third, Jonah prays looking above. Prayer from below, prayer looking in, and prayer above. So let's get in. In verses 5 to 6, we see a prayer from below. Jonah says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. 
To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. And what we see in verse 5 is Jonah is actually describing his experience of drowning, his experience of being submerged in water. Right? Some of us, myself even for the longest time, like when you get under a shower and the water is coming, you begin to hyperventilate, you begin to feel like, I'm drowning. And there are some of us that we can't even get close to the lagoon. Like we look at it from a very long distance. But Jonah is not talking about a shower he had that didn't go well or his attempt to get into the lagoon. Jonah is talking about actually being in the sea. And you see, this is significant because in, in, in Jewish thought, the sea is the height of the problems you can ever face in this life. Like because it was a very landlocked area. They didn't have lots of water. And so when someone actually says to you, may you drown in the sea, the person is, is, is like the person is saying to you, may all the problems of life be on your head. It's like when we say to someone like, you are in soup. That's how the, the people thought about sea. Like this is something terrible. This is something horrible that is happening. And so that's why, for instance, in, in Old Testament prophetic literature and the book of Revelation as well, the sea features there as this kind of judgment, this kind of distress, trouble that someone is experiencing, someone is going through. And so for Jonah, it's not just that he is in water. It's actually like he is in the height of problems. He's in the height of distress anyone can actually experience. It's like he is in Wahala, and Wahala is in him. But you see, in verse 5, he says, Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And what we know about seaweed is, of course, it's weed. Like, it just, it just grows anywhere, but it's at the bottom of the sea. And now Jonah is saying, this thing that is that isn't meant to be part of me, it's actually part of me. It is wrapped around me. It's, it has embraced me. It's like it's second nature to me at this point. Jonah is talking about this dissonance that he's experiencing. Like, this is not where I'm meant to be. This is not what I'm meant to be experiencing. In verse 6, he says, He has sunk to the roots of the mountains. And just on one level, like, you have to love the poetry that is going on here. And it's one of the reasons why the Bible continues to be the best-selling book of all time. But even beyond the poetry, Jonah is saying, like, I have gone to the depths. Like, no matter how low you go, you don't see the root of mountains. Jonah is saying, like, I have gone to the depths. The earth has barred me in. He's talking about being buried alive. Like, everything is out of shape. Everything is going horrible for me. And you see, many of us can relate to Jonah this morning. Many of us have this feeling that even though you are not in a sea, even though there is no seaweed around you, literally, you are in something deep, like things are not going well for you. When Jonah says, the seaweed is around my head, seaweed may not be around your head physically, but you might be having mental exhaustion. Just the dissonance of what's going on, what's the sense of direction, like what's happening here? Jonah is saying he's at the root of the mountains. And for you, it's like, I'm at the lowest low that I can possibly go. I'd like, nobody can express anything lower than this. Hopelessness has set in. The earth has buried you alive. How do we deal with these disappointments? Because when you are experiencing this mental exhaustion, this dissonance of like reality, like 
I, I, really can't, so I, I really can't explain what's happening. Just even thinking about the experience of, of last week. You know, in the, in the, in the aftermath of, of the shooting, was said that it was 70-something people. And all of us are like, what? 70-something people? Oh, my God, this is wickedness. This is terrible. We saw the person that was being carried by a guy like, my God, how can they shoot this person draped in the Nigerian flag? And then come out the following day and say, no, 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 it's not 70-something people. It's just one person. Oh, and that thing that you saw, no, it was a drama. Like, what? Wait, what was going on? And then someone comes back the following day and says, no, 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 there were actually lots of people. We, we carried the bodies to the trucks of the soldiers. Like, wait, wait, wait. What is going on? Were people killed or were people not killed? Was, how many people were killed? What's going on? Am I losing my mind? And just even thinking about some of the other stuff we're experiencing in life. Like, I thought this was what I saw, but now you're saying this is not what I saw. It's something else. Like, what is going on here? How do we deal with this disappointment? How do we deal with seaweed wrapped around our head, with us being at the bottom of the sea, with us being locked in by the earth forever? I know if you live in a city like ours, our mantra is no shaking. You keep moving. And so that sometimes means that we have to deny the circumstances that exist. And even for us Christians, we do that in very Christian ways, like God is in control. Yes, God is in control, but what does that mean for this situation? Like this thing doesn't exist. No, 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 no. I just have to give thanks to God. I just have to, you know, keep, keep trusting in God. Like what does that even mean? But sometimes we also try to deal with it by denying the gravity of the situation. So this one is better. At least the person says this thing has happened. We're like, no, it's not as bad as you are saying it is. Yes, I'm in debt, but it's not that bad. Like someone, a brother that um, he had a terrible misfortune um, happen to him a few weeks ago. So he, we still don't, yeah, we don't really don't know. Whether he hit someone or someone walked into his car, we don't know. But the point was that the person had a broken leg. So it was like, ah, okay, yeah, let me quickly take this person to the hospital and help the person fix their leg. And then he got there and was like, no, 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 this leg is actually broken. This is an old person. Okay, it's still not that bad. And then they're asking him for this huge sum. Ah, okay, I can try to find help. Until someone actually then goes there and it becomes like this. The person has to break in. Guy, you are in deep trouble. This is not just about someone with a broken leg. This is huge mess. You need help. And then the guy actually then says, okay, yes, I need help. And then people rally around him. And so some of us are like that. We deny the gravity of what is happening to us. We deny the seriousness of the stuff that we're experiencing because we feel like we can sort it out. Or we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And I, just, I hate that idiom. Like, it just doesn't even work for me. What does it mean to pull yourself up by a bootstrap? Like, how is that even possible physically? But we try to do that. We try, we feel like the more we try, the more we dig in, the more we help ourselves, the more we can actually bail ourselves out. And you see, we have to realize that sometimes our efforts, friends, is like someone who is stuck in quicksand. The more you dig in, the deeper you go. The more you dig in, the deeper you go. And you need people to actually help you out and bring you out. And Jonah is showing us that, no, 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 don't deny your circumstances. Don't deny the gravity of what's happening. Don't, don't try to help yourself out. Do it another way. And we find Jonah here. What, what does he do? He's 
praying to God. He's crying out to God, asking God for help. But he's not just praying to God. What he's doing is that he's basically taking the word of God and putting it back to God. He's taking the word of God and putting it back to God. Look at verses 1 and 7 of Jonah 2. Where Jonah is talking about his distress and temple. He's basically just praying Psalm 18 verse 6. Psalm 18 verse 6 says, In my distress I call to the Lord. I cry to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him. In chapter, in verse 5 of Jonah 2, where Jonah is talking about his, about being buried alive with the waters. He's basically just praying Psalm 69 verse 1 and 2. Where the psalmist says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Jonah is saying, this thing is so deep, I don't even have the words to be able to articulate it. But I know that God has given me his word, so I'm just going to take basically the word of God and say it back to God because I do not have the words for this situation. And you see why, friends, the word of God is so important. It's not just something we use to show off or a sword that we will to people for, you know, situations like, oh, God is in control um, and all things work together for good. No, 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 no. They're not just palliatives in the sense of being general. They're actually life-saving medicines for us that God has given to us. And so Jonah is at this deep point in his life. He doesn't have the, word, the words to be able to speak, but he's reciting the word of God back to him. Like, God, this is so deep. Help me. Help me. I know the psalmist has experienced this before, and that's why you have given me the words. Oh, God, please help me. Some of you may not know, so um, you have to pay me for this information I'm going to give you. Um, but most, most smartphones these days have a function for you to save emergency contacts in case you ever need to be helped, in case you are in an accident, in case, you know, something happens, all of those things that we always do like this for. Um, so um, I have, yeah, so basically my emergency contacts are my wife, my mother, and Pastor Femi. So, oh, he stepped out. So, like, if anything ever happens to me, Pastor Femi will know about it. Um, and, you know, what, what we do with emergency contacts, we don't, we don't put, oh, I met Dangote one time, and then you put it. No, no, you put the people that can actually bail you out of the situation. And the idea is that you take your phone, you've been hit by a car, you don't have some, and you press a button five times, and all those people are called for you by your phone. Why? Because even technology realizes that there are times when you actually need help, and you won't be able to put it into words. And so it's been preset, if you like. And that's what the Word of God does for us, friends. When we fill ourselves with the Word of God, we're able to respond, sometimes in lament, sometimes in faith, sometimes in hope to God about the experiences that we're having. But you see also, we need not just to meditate on our circumstances, we need to meditate on God who can bring us out of our circumstances. And so all of Jonah's prayers here is not just a generic prayer to the universe. He's praying to God. He's asking God to intervene in his circumstance. I know the flip side of people who actually deny their circumstances, people who are constantly meditating on it, as though that's the only thing that ever exists. And so you're like, oh my God, this thing I've experienced, this thing is so terrible, this thing, and then you just stay there and you stay there. 
But what Jonah does is he realizes what he's experiencing. He realizes the difficulty he's in, but that difficulty is driving him to meditate on God who can bring him out of it. And so yesterday while I was just reading my own personal um, devotional time, I've read Psalm 119 a few times. But I was just really struck again by verses 145 to 152 where the psalmist is showing how there's a link between meditating on the word of God and praying to God. And so throughout that section of, of verses, the psalmist is constantly talking about, oh, I cried out to God, but I read God's word. I read God's word, then I cried out to God. And you see that prayer and the word of God is not just, they're not two different things. As a, a preacher called Charles Spurgeon has said, it is like breathing in and breathing out. The more we meditate on the word of God, the more we're able to meditate on the God who can intervene in our circumstances. The God who can actually bring us out of the sea that we're in. But I would even say that we have something even better than Jonah. Because Jonah was in his sea alone. Jonah was going through what he was experiencing alone. But God has also given us his people. I, say, I think this is where, even just thinking about you know, how we're here, there are restrictions why all of us can't be gathered this morning. And I understand that. But there are some of you at home that the reason why you are here is not because of any good reason, really. You don't have kids that are watching over you. You have someone that can actually step in and fill that gap. But yeah, I really don't want to be here. And what this passage shows us is that because God has, even though God has saved us individually, the way God has designed us to grow is by growing us corporately. You are missing out on something significant when you stay away from God's people. But even then, you know, sometimes our bonds as Christians are tested. And again, speaking about the events of the last few weeks, like there is just a division, if you like, some of us are very, very, very anti the protest. Some of us are very, very pro the protest. And we've been clashing. How can you even think that? How can you even say this? How can you even support the protest? Can't you see what has happened? And then there are those, how can you even be supporting the government? Can't you see that they shot us? And we are speaking on these two different edges rather than being united in the gospel that God has given us to actually bring us together as a community by which we can grow. And what we are doing when we are separating ourselves away from God's people is that we are actually saying, no, nah, I can be here alone. I'm actually okay here. And God actually has provided a means of escape for us as his people to travel together. Jonah is praying from below. Jonah is in a really dark place. And what he is doing is not just talking about his circumstance. He's not just praying airy fairy prayers. He's praying real prayers. Because God has given us his word. He's praying real prayers because there's a God who is greater than what he's expressing. And we can pray real prayers because God has given us his people to travel together. And I hope you can see, if you're not a Christian here or you're someone who doesn't really believe, you know, don't take these things seriously. That self-help can never, ever ultimately help us. We talk about the power of positive thinking. Like, what kind of positive thinking can you think that will get you out of the sea? There is no way we can actually, and that's what the passage is showing us, there's no way we can actually help ourselves 
out of the circumstances that we find ourselves unless we rely on God, unless we trust in God. And so Jonah shows us that, like he's often said, you know, when life brings you to your knees, you're in the perfect position to pray. Jonah is not just on his knees. He's upside down. He's on his face. Like everything is going haywire. And Jonah is still able to pray to God. And friends, we can pray to God. We can cry out for deliverance in our circumstances. But what we see also, the second point, is that Jonah prays looking in. Jonah prays looking in. And so what we've seen in the book of Jonah is that the book of Jonah is so full of ironies. So in chapter 1, Jonah is a prophet of God. God calls Jonah and says, go and tell these people about me. What does Jonah do? Jonah runs away, and it's in verses 5 to 6 that the people God actually sends him to, or the kind of people God sends him to, are the ones who are then telling him, call on God, tell us about your God. Jonah is the messenger of a God of grace, but Jonah himself is not full of the grace of God. And we see another irony here in verse 8. On the face of it, it looks like the sailors are the ones who are worshipping idols. In fact, we are told in verse 5 that when the, the trouble happens on the sea, they were actually um, calling out to their own gods. But then Jonah is actually the one. Um, uh, but eventually, um, in verse 16, they, they are converted and then they worship God and they sacrifice to God. On the face of it, it appears that Jonah is the one who is actually worshipping the true God because he's been called by God to actually go and give God's message to um, the Assyrians. But we actually see as we read this passage that Jonah is the one who is worshipping idols. He's worshipping the idol of his own um, righteous judgments. He's worshipping the idols of his own ethnicity. He's worshipping the idols of his religious heritage. He's worshipping the idols of his own making. And so when, when we come to verse 8 and Jonah prays this prayer, I think Jonah is ultimately thinking, he's thinking about himself. So in verse 8 he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And this, is, this turning away is evident in Jonah's condition because Jonah is in the belly of a fish, right? Like, that's where turning away from God gets you. But he's also showing us that our idols will only carry us so far. They promise rescue. They promise deliverance. They promise um, salvation from the circumstances that we're experiencing, but they will ultimately let us down. That's what Jonah realizes here. And as someone has said, the problem with idols is that they overpromise, but underdeliver. It's like that wonder pill that is always sold on public buses. Like it always beats me, always beats me. How do people keep falling for this thing? Here's this one wonder pill that is sufficient for menstrual pain and erectile dysfunction, and headache, and um, um, whatever, pneumonia, whatever you're expressing. And it can even raise the dead if you use it well. They always overpromise, but underdeliver. But you see, the interesting thing about the story of Jonah is that the way Jonah disobeys God, or the way Jonah runs away from God, is by obeying God's commands. So in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God has said to the nation of Israel that you guys are a kingdom of priests. You guys are a holy nation unto me. And so God separates them. And Jonah takes that and becomes, you know, proud of his heritage, proud of his ethnicity. He doesn't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles around him. 
But God had also said to the people of Israel in the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 3, that I want to make you a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so the promise, the separation of the kingdom of, of, of the people of Israel was always about the mission of God. It was a means so that people would always see these people who are separate unto God and be committed to God. But Jonah says, nope, I'm not having none of it. These people, they are bad people. They are not like us, so they deserve God's judgment. And friends, many times, actually, part of what it means to actually get out of the pit that we're in or get out of the sea that we're in, if you like, is actually to ask God by praying, looking inward. And so there are some of us that we are actually obeying God by, by we're disobeying God rather by obeying him, by obeying his commandments. And so someone is very concerned about justice, very concerned about you know, unfair wages. You fight in your office against unjust policies. You don't, you, you don't like the way people who are um, blue-collar workers are treated. Your favorite Bible passage is Amos 5.24 that says, let righteousness flow like, like a stream and justice like an ever-flowing river. But you are the person on Friday that you are bringing your um, suitcase to the office. Ah, Mabel, where are you going? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to my boyfriend's house. And spending the weekend there will have a nice time. You don't have any problems with premarital sex or sex outside of God's design, but you are this person who is keeping this thing. Everybody has to be concerned about this thing. Or you are someone, you are someone who is very passionate about your family. You are passionate about, you know, taking care of your kids. And you like 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. I just love it in the KJV. You can't beat it. He says, he who does not provide for his own household has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And so that's your passage. No, no, no. I don't want to be like a non-believer. I want to take care of my kids. I want to take care of my wife. I want to put everything in place. I want to make sure everything is going on fine. But generosity to the people of God, generosity to the house of God, giving regularly from your income and your substance. No. Now, I, I have to do this other one. Or there are those of us who are very generous very kind, very good with the things we do. But we are truth tellers. Like this person has messed up. They have to hear it. Like the Bible says, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. He's not my child, but I don't want to spoil him. He has to hear it. And so we disobey God by obeying his commands. And what Jonah shows is like, no, no, we need God's searchlight beamed on our own hearts. We need to actually ask God, like, Search me, O God. And so Jonah sees himself here. He sees that, no, no, those people who cling to worthless idols and turn away from God's love for them is not just these sailors. It's not just these Assyrians. It's not just these people who are doing all that stuff. It's me as well. And he's saying to God, help me. Bail me out. But you see, oftentimes we think that we can cling to our idols and still follow God. We feel like we can, like we say in Lagos, we can balance our responsibilities. But if there's anything that should not be balanced, it is this. We cannot serve God and serve our idols at the same time. And so Jonah recognized that this problem is not just outside of me. It's not just the circumstance I'm in. It's not just stuff that that I'm experiencing. It is me as well. Because come to think about it, God calls Jonah. 
and sends him on a pilgrimage. And Jonah thinks he can run away from God, so he gets on a ship. But then things are going bad on the ship. There's, 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 there's a shipwreck and a potential shipwreck about to happen. And of all the ideas in the world, Jonah thinks, oh, if I jump off this ship, that I can actually still run away from God. Why? He's thinking about his idols. Those things are driving him. They are propelling him in that instant. And Jonah here is realizing, like, look, no, no. The problem is not just outside of me. The problem is not just what I'm experiencing. The problem is in me as well. Um, the Times of London, a newspaper, wrote um, an inquiry and sent it to several authors many, many years ago. And the question was, what is wrong with the world today? And so they sent to people, and people were replying and pontificating and saying different things. And one of the people they sent it to was a man called G.K. Chesterton, a writer. And he replied, the editor, and said, Dear sir, I am signed G.K. Chesterton. And on one level, it's like, why is this guy trying to play smart? Why is he, why is he trying to be cheeky? But on another level, it is he realizes that it is not just what is wrong outside there. It's what is wrong inside here as well, what is wrong with me. And oftentimes, friends, we are crying out for help, crying out to God to save us, crying out to God to deliver us from other people, whereas we actually need God to deliver us from ourselves. And so David prays in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. He says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and reveal my anxious thoughts. See if there is any way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Friends, we need God to beam his searchlight on us. We need God to ask, actually rescue us from ourselves, from our own tendencies, from our own idolatries, from the things that we hold there. And you see, our idols are not just revealed in the things that we love, they're revealed in the things that we hate. And so there are some of us here and you're saying, yes, um, I agree, like this thing I'm in is because of my own badness, it's because of the things I've done that are not good, I need to repent. But there are some of us that are thinking, no, 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 Emmanuel, this thing is not because of what I did. It's not because of what I did. Someone else did it to me. And you might, you might be correct. Like, that's a valid objection. But you see what the gospel shows us. The gospel shows us that it is not just how we respond to people. It is what we respond with that is also, uh, is also important as well. And so, yes, people can do stuff to us. People can hurt us. People can, you know, out of their own idolatries, treat us in a certain way. But how are you choosing to respond? Are you responding with hatred? Are you responding with anger? Are you responding with unforgiveness? Are you responding with, I don't even want to have anything to do with these people again? You see, ultimately, what is wrong with that is you have... Taking your own standards of righteousness, your own standards of what you think is fair, your own standards of justice, and you have elevated it above God's commands to forgive, God's commands to love others, God's command to be at peace with everyone. And Jonah is saying here, yes, yes, I agree. People have done bad stuff to you, but the problem is also in you as well. And so Tim Keller has said, he said, counterfeit gods will never forgive you if you fail them. And they will never satisfy you if you have them. There's only one God who can, and his name is Jesus. But you see, the problem is also that our idols remake us. They, they are not just neutral things out there. They remake us into their own image. 
And so God created us in his image in Genesis 1 to be like him. But when we bow down um, to other idols, they are actually remaking us to become like them. And so in Psalm 115, verse um, 3 to about 8, there's a passage there. The psalmist is talking about God who is true, God who is holy, and those who worship other idols. See what he says. He says in verse 3, Our God is in heaven. He does all that pleases him. Verse 4, he says, But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. And he says in verse 8, Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Do you see? We're never just in a neutral space with our idols. We are constantly being made and remade to become like them. And so you see, the problem with the truth teller is not, is not just that the person is telling the truth. The problem is that the person is becoming an unkind person. The person is becoming a judgmental person. The problem with the person who is just focusing on their family and thinking about, oh, their own welfare alone is that the person is becoming an ungenerous and selfish person. Our idols are constantly remaking us. Our idols are constantly remolding us in, our, in their own image. And Jonah realizes that here and he's saying, oh God, please, I don't want to forsake your love. I don't want to, I want to do away with the lie of thinking I can balance these things. I want to trust in you. I want to lean on you. I want to depend on you. You see, Jonah doesn't just stop there. Jonah prays looking above. Jonah prays looking above. And so we see that in verses um, 6 to 10. He says, But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When, I was, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. You see, the thing about crying out for deliverance, friends, is that you ultimately have to recognize that you cannot help yourself. You cannot bring yourself out. And this is what Jonah realizes when he's at this point. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran away from God thinking I could escape him. And I jumped into the river thinking I could still escape him, but he's right here. And we have to realize that only God can pull us out. And that's what Jonah does. Only God can pull us out. But you see in verse 9, he says, salvation comes from the Lord. And here, Jonah is not just trying to be captain obvious, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, God can do all things. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah is saying ultimately that only a God of grace and mercy can rescue me from this position I'm in. I cannot help myself. I cannot bring myself out. I know oftentimes people will say, like, Christianity is a crutch for the weak. But it's true. Christianity is a tr crutch for the weak. I think, actually, Christianity is more like life support for those who are dying. Christianity is an infusion of life for those who are on their deathbed. Christianity is like a lifeguard trying to rescue someone who is drowning. Christianity is God coming to us in our deepest mess and knees and saying, I can get you out. You are at the end of your rope, but I can get you out. I can save you. I can bring deliverance to you. And there are some of us here who have been hurt and battered by life. Like stuff has happened. Not even just this 
past few weeks. All of that is disorienting enough, but like stuff has happened in your own life. People you've trusted have let you down. People that you've looked up to have disappointed you. Things haven't worked out well. And you've tried. You've tried. Let me dig out. Let me dig myself out. Let me dig myself out. And you dig out, but you realize that this thing is like quicksand. The more I exert pressure, the more I try to get myself out, the more I go in. You dig out, but you are going in. You dig out, you are going in. And the clouds of despair are closing in. You see weed is wrapped around your head. You are at the depths of the mountains. You are seeing the roots. The earth has locked you in forever. But the good news, friends, is that there is a God from whom salvation comes. Maybe your sin struggles are holding you in. Maybe you initially tried, oh, like, yeah, yeah, like everybody's doing this thing. Everybody's eating edibles. So, like, let me just take it a little bit to relax. But now this thing is actually holding onto you and it's become an addiction. Or you're someone who pornography is now destroying your relationship. And I'm not just talking about guys. I'm talking about ladies as well. Like, your loss can no longer be satisfied. And now this thing is eating deep. It's eating you deep. It's affecting your relationships. What we see in Jonah is that there is a God who can actually rescue us. There's a God who can bring deliverance to us. And can I urge you, whether at home or in the hall this morning, that you can call out to him. And we see these very beautiful words in verse 10. It says, And the Lord commanded the fish and he vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Jonah has been trying to run away from God. Jonah has been trying to escape God. And it seems like the more Jonah runs, the more God is coming for him. The more Jonah runs, the more God is coming for him. And some of you can even think about your life and your life history and how it seems like every point you have determined to run away from God, the more the love of God comes for you. Can I tell you, friends, that this great God of mercy is still available to rescue us and to deliver us. No matter what that great pit is this morning, no matter what that sea of despair is this morning, he can still rescue us. But there's something else going on here. There's something beautiful that we see here. Because we see Jonah is a reluctant messenger of God. He's a reluctant prophet who has been running away from God. But he says in verse 7 that he actually needs God's temple to bring deliverance. He says he's going to pray looking to God's temple. In verse 9, he says he will sacrifice to God. And you see, what Jonah suddenly realizes is that I need a priest. I need someone who will actually stand for me before God. Not just to proclaim the words of God, but to actually represent me before God. And if you've been following the Bible storyline, you might know a little bit of the background to this. So, quick history. At this point in, 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 in the children of God's, in Israel's history, they had actually been split in two. So there were two nations that had been formed out of the one um, nation of Israel. There was the southern kingdom of Judah that was still faithful to God with the temple and the priests. And then there was the northern kingdom of Israel, or sometimes called Ephraim, that had turned away from God and did not have God's temple, did not have priests. And so the problem was that only those who were in the southern kingdom were the people who were actually worshipping God the way he had, he had said. But Jonah is from the northern kingdom. And Jonah is saying, no, no, I need a priest to stand before me for God. I need a priest who can actually present my case to God. The problem is Jonah doesn't have any temple. Jonah doesn't have any priest around. And we don't know, the text never tells us whether there is actually 
a priest that Jonah goes to. There is actually Jonah fulfilling this desire of his heart. And over and over again, we continue to see this need. We don't just need a prophet to tell us the words of God. We need a priest who is going to stand for us before God. We don't just need a prophet who is going to tell us what God demands. We need a priest who is going to say, oh yes, these people are filled, but God, look at them in mercy. And we continue to see this need again and again all through the scriptures until we come to Matthew 12, huh, where Jesus, in an, in an exchange with the, with the Pharisees, Jesus Christ is, is talking with them and he says to them, I am the one who is greater than the temple. And like, what? Really? There is someone who is greater than the temple. There is someone who replaces the, 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 the system of priests. There is someone who can actually stand for us before God. Fantastic. But then Jesus continues to have this dialogue with the, with the Pharisees. And then we see he says to them, I'm the one who is greater than Jonah. Like what? Really? We have in one person who is greater than the priest and another and the same person who is also greater than the prophets. We have someone who does not just come reluctantly to declare the words of God to us like Jonah does. But we have someone who comes willingly to tell us what God is saying. But Jesus actually even goes a step further than Jonah. Jesus doesn't just come to us willingly. Jesus actually becomes like one of us. He takes on our frailty. He takes on our difficulty. He takes on the things we're experiencing that are bad and the things that we're experiencing that we do not like so that he can become the priest who is acquainted with our sorrows and acquainted with our grief. And then we have this priest who does not just offer lambs and animals to God to appease God's wrath, but we have this priest who himself lays down his own life so that we can be rescued and free. But you see, this is not just any other priest. This priest actually is not just a human being who is standing for us before God. This priest actually is God himself who becomes like one of us so that he can understand how we are, what we are going through, so that we can come boldly before him and so that we can find the rescue and liberty that we need. Friends, in Jesus Christ, we have what Jonah didn't have. Jonah in this spirit is asking, I need a temple, I need a priest, I need someone to actually bring me out of here who will stand for me before God. But in Jesus Christ, we have someone who does not just fulfill that desire, but who comes close to us and rescues us. Jonah needed a temple to pray. In Jesus Christ, we can talk to God freely and boldly. Jonah needed a priest to sacrifice for him. In Jesus Christ, we have this sacrifice for all time. Not one that we have to keep repeating. Not one that we have to keep wondering, oh, will God accept this one? But one that has been accepted by God forever. And so I don't know what you are going through at home. I don't know what you are going through here in the hall. I don't know how bad it's been. I don't know what you are experiencing. I don't know if the seaweed is around your head and there's so much mental exhaustion. But you can cry out to this God. Who is a greater prophet than Jonah, but who is also the priest that releases us from all of our burdens? I'm going to ask that we bow down our heads and pray. Some of us actually need God to rescue us. We need God to deliver us. Like you recognize, like, God, I cannot get myself out of this place. I need you to rescue me. I need you to deliver me. I need you to bring the salvation that I ultimately need. Can I urge you to cry out for deliverance? 
And the beautiful thing about this great God is that you don't need to improve your circumstances to be able to cry out to him. Even right where you are in the belly of the fish, deep in the sea, he's right there with you and he can hear your cries. Some of you, you have to just ask God like, yes, yes, God, the problem is with me. I realize it today. Not just in what people have done to me, but also in how I have responded to them. Help me. Help me. You know, this past week in our GCs, we're studying Hebrews chapter 4. And one of the things that we saw is that because Jesus Christ has experienced our temptations in every way that we can experience them, he's able to stand for us before God. Let's just pour out our hearts to God this morning. Let's cry out to him and ask him to help us, to deliver us, to bring the deliverance that we so desperately need. Deliverance that we cannot give ourselves. The deliverance that helps us be able to go through life. Maybe it's with your kids. Your teenage children are slowly turning away from God and you can't seem to be able to get your arms and your hands around them. But this great God is here with us this morning. When the angels announced his birth, they said, you will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God present with us. God that has tabernacled with us. God that is now acquainted with what we are going through. God who is not just up and far away, but God who is right here with us. for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.